Today's guest on the Manlyhood Mancast gets personal. He goes deep and he talks about things that guys don't usually feel comfortable talking about. He tells the stories of the faces that he puts on. And I think that we've got a lot that we can learn today from Mike James. We'll get into it right after this on the Manlyhood Mancast. Warning, applying these principles may change your life. People will look at you differently. You'll walk straighter, live bolder, and find out who you are. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And listen, everything that we do here at Manlyhood is a part of a movement. We're a movement of men becoming better men together. If you want to do that, if you want to grow with us, you can join the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook. You can get uh, my free book of quotes that you can get on our website. If you go to manlyhood.com and if you click the start here, there's a place where you can download 365-plus uh, quotes that are manly quotes that will help build you up and encourage you. And, again, that's absolutely free for you to grab that. I'd love you to have that. Also, don't forget to go to Amazon and get my book, Manlyhood, The 12 Pillars of Masculinity. My hope is that it helps you become a better man because the things that I'm writing about are the things that have helped me becoming a better man and, in fact, are still helping me. This is something that is a movement. It's about us growing together, and I'm excited about it. I'm also excited about today's guest. Mike James is a life coach. His life experience might not be the same as yours, but he definitely knows and understands the heart of a man, what a man is thinking, what a man is going through, and the way that we put on a mask to deal with every situation. You know, we got pretty deep in this interview. I learned a lot. I know that I learned a lot about Mike, and I also saw ways that even though we see the world very differently, I learned about him in ways that helped me learn about myself as well. So I hope that this helps you. You know, keep an open mind and listen in a way where we can pull out the truths that are evident all over, especially in Mike's life. Listen up. Mike James, it is great to have you on the show. I uh, have enjoyed following the work that you're doing, and I think it's uh, it's awesome to have you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Yeah, so you are a life coach, and uh, you focus mostly on men. Is that how that comes together? Yeah, great question. I don't focus mostly on men. Um, in fact, I would say a large uh, majority of my clientele is women, um, mm-hmm. but I work with men too. Why I think the large majority is women is that women are more interested or apt or comfortable talking about feelings and going deeper. Um, I'm obviously generalizing. There's a lot of, there's men out there that want to do that as well, but you know, the men in our society are not often taught how to talk about their feelings. So when they get brought up, uh, it could turn an interesting corner or um, slow things down, which it's okay being slow. Um, But yeah, so I work with all different genders and what I'm finding is that, the younger generations are talking more about their feelings and maybe a little more woken up to the fact that they're, that it's okay to do so. In fact, very, very healthy. Um, but yeah, I've been uh, a life coach for 11 years. Um, have coached over 900 clients right now, which is crazy to say. Uh, it's been really, really exciting. I get to learn more about myself through the process too, because I'm, you know, I'm learning about humanity and then I, you know, it's like a mirror of where I'm showing up or not showing up. So it's been a, a crazy, crazy ride. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, it's funny because a lot of guys that I've talked with, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about a lot of things and, you know, I think like the, this whole, uh, you know, millennial and Gen, Gen Z life coach thing has just, it's almost a meme to be honest. And I'm not saying that to insult what you're doing, but oh, I think yeah. a lot of guys, like, like they, they don't understand it. They don't understand what it is you do. And, and so, you know, like 
they would have no problem paying a fitness coach to take them to the gym and teach them, you know, how to lose weight or how to, how to lift weights or how to, you know, learn Brazilian jujitsu, you know, but um, I think that there is a lot of value in working on the inside and working on, on, you know, your, your thought patterns and things like that. So, so with that in mind, knowing that some of our guys are like, I don't get this stuff, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand it. It just seems weird to me. What does it look like? What does it mean to, to get coaching in those areas of your life? Yeah. I love that you asked that. And there's life coaching everywhere. It is a meme. And I, you know, there's jokes about it and I'll see on a TV show, like, Oh, I couldn't do anything with my life. So I decided to be a life coach. And um, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like psychology in a way um, mixed with emotions, which is part of psychology too. um, And some deeper levels of conversations. I always like to tell people that I'm certified not because I think it's important to have credentials, but to tell people that I didn't just decide, like, I want to offer advice to people. I think I give great advice. Therefore, I jumped into that. So certification means I went through a proper schooling. Um, then I went through a certification process. So I was monitored by supervisors. My calls were recorded that were critiqued and things like that. So it was a definitely a process. But the way I describe life coaching is basically getting to the root level causes of the things that are in the way, not just, Oh, you've got this going on. So you just need to try this and then motivate them, inspire them to do things. It's more transformational. So Mm -hmm. they're getting to those root causes could be uncomfortable uh, to look at, um, especially as men, Um, again, not generalizing and it's not all the time, but as men, we're not taught to talk about our feelings where something came from, who they came from, because a lot of these things are built on our identity. You know what I mean? We don't, if you open up something, you can't necessarily close it again. It could be, you know, a relationship with your dad. It could be, you know, uh, something traumatizing that happened to you. So you built this armor up for yourself to look the opposite of, I'm glad you brought up the gym too, because, you know, it's interesting. There's being healthy. And then there's those guys that really, really bulk up and get, super, super muscly. And I wonder, is that like an armor to look tougher or is that actually, you know, is that you, here's a fact for you, Josh, that a huge percentage of men in bodybuilding competitions were actually sexually molested as children. And I bring that up because obviously if you were sexually molested, that's something that's traumatizing. It's confusing. It's scary. And you're very vulnerable And then as an adult, you're this big muscle warrior. Is that an armor to to keep people away from you or is it to draw people into you? And um, just an example of some of the armor we put on, but yeah, there are deeper levels of conversations and I don't necessarily give advice. I ask and call out what I see, but I ask a lot of questions and kind of like peeling back the layers of an onion. You get to the middle by having someone answer their own questions. I believe everybody's got their own answers and it's super powerful when those answers come from them versus somebody outside of us. Cause um, I don't pretend I'm an expert in, in advice. Um, and I don't really believe in experts other than I think we're our own experts and know what we need. Uh, it just helps to have somebody, a third party that's not in your regular everyday lifestyle to come in and um, get really, really curious about you and peel back those layers. Yeah. I think that it's really hard and it's okay that we generalize I think people get scared, like, oh, we're making stare. No, just it's just the truth. Yep. Men in our society don't always know how to handle their emotions. And it's very common that they don't know what to do with it. I'm a I'm a big semantics guy, you know. So like the words that we use matter. And I get really irritated when people use certain words. Like I hate the term toxic masculinity, right? Because because while the concept is real, right? The thought behind the concept is real. You know, what we've done is we've now taken the word masculinity and we've associated it and played this game of word association so that we have an entire generation of people that have no idea that being masculine is a good thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not a bad thing to be masculine. And, and so for me, like, that's my, one of my big things that I love to kind of, you know, have a, a stone in my craw about and complain that concept though, of toxic masculinity, what's behind the concept, I I actually think it actually exists where what we've done is we've created this culture and we say to men, um, 
you have to be tough. You have to be strong. You have to be stoic. And I, those things are true, (laughs) but what happens is they don't allow us to actually feel. They don't allow us to actually work through it. And I don't know, like for me, like this is a recent thing for me, actually, you know, I've raised my kids and, you know, uh, you start to realize all the things you've done wrong, (laughs) you know, you're like, Oh yeah, I didn't get that right. So, um, I've been learning and working on like, you keep running into walls, you know, I, I can, I, I know that that's a big issue for people. They will start something in their life, run into the same walls over and over and over again and never figure it out. Yeah. And I think that's probably the value in having somebody actually coach you and talk you through it. It is because those same walls that we run into, unless we learn from it and then change it, we're just going to be presented with the same circumstances because we're attracted to the same types of things over and over and over again. So until we look at like how we got attracted to it in the first place, how it attracts us um, based off, you know, what we're used to, what we were taught, um, what we learn and the majority of stuff, uh, the human ex- experience is just a bunch of stories that we made up based on what we were taught from other people. Um, it's not like that as a baby, you literally come in and you're absorbing the world and curious about it. And that curiosity starts to get shut down by being told like, you know, boys don't do this. Men don't do this. Um, act a certain way it starts normally with your parents and your siblings. And then it goes out into school and you see it reinforced over and over again that, it looks strange to see a man cry, strange to see a man ask for help. And Josh, I can't tell you how many times I've been coaching um, a male who, and, and sometimes females too. I'm not, I'm not picking on just men, but most of the time men, when we're talking about something and I ask them like, how does that feel for you? And then the conversation stops. And I know as a coach that when there's silence, there's something changing there which is a good mm-hmm. thing. So I say quiet. And oftentimes I get the question like either, what do you mean? Or feel as if men don't have feelings. Like what the hell is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I tell them like, yes, feel. And the most beautiful thing to me is when I'm with somebody working on something deep, I've got a couple of different techniques and skills to pull someone into the things that are avoiding. And oftentimes emotions come up. It could be anger. Um, oftentimes people cry And when they cry, I'm like, there you are. You've been avoiding this very thing. And it's been the things we avoid, they actually run our lives. And here's the real you. And, you know, of course, you know, like most humans, they apologize when they cry. I'm like, listen, man, I cry too. Like, don't apologize. Let's just sit in this for right now. And it's, it's amazing the healing that can happen with tears. That's what they're for. I still am a fan of the idea that, you know, emotions have their place, you know, emotions shouldn't be what rule and drive us. You know, if I'm going to make a decision, I need to make sure that I look at logic and common sense and wise counsel, you know, rather than just follow my heart because my heart's going to, you know, not always tell me the truth. Right. But at the same time, I think we like those guys that are telling you, well, feel, what do you mean? I don't feel like, I don't think we know that we feel. I think we've learned to suppress those things so deep. I know I have, like, as I'm telling you that these are things that I am recognizing and seeing in my life right now that, you know, I've stuffed so much that I don't, I think, Oh, well, I dealt with that. No, like, no, like shoving it in the corner in a box, isn't dealing with it. You know, hundred percent, man. And, and making a decision in your head about like, okay, I thought through it and everything's okay. And then put it on that shelf is not dealing with it. Like that stuff lives in your body. And one thing I'm not here to, you know, call anybody out as wrong. I will like, I believe that listening to your heart is the right way because scientifically it's been proven that the heart electromagnetically knows information 500 times faster than the brain. Yet we're such a mind culture that we try and think through every possible scenario and make up all these stories about it versus like, you know what? Uh, this made me angry or I'm lit up about this. I'm super excited about this. This makes me super sad and not like thinking logically. Yeah, but it didn't have to. I know this person, this thing wasn't their fault. Like, okay. 
maybe not. And that makes you a, a well thought through person, but feeling through those things is where the, that like that stuff gets stored in your body, trauma, be like fear, sadness, anger, any of that stuff that's not addressed. If it's a mind thought and it makes you mad, it gets stored somewhere in your body. And men, you know, the suicide rate is higher for men. Um, being alcoholics is higher for men. Although women are on the rise with that one, which is sad, you know, um, men are very, very self-destructive yet. We don't, like you were saying, we don't really recognize it because that's just what all men do. Even down to, you know, like my own struggle, you know, obesity and, you know, eating our feelings or, or whatever, you know, that it, that's what we do is we mask it. You know, we, yeah. we would rather not feel. So we find something that makes us feel good and, and delve into that, whether it's, you know, porn or sex or booze or pills or whatever, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad you shared that. And thank you for, thank you for being honest. For me, here was my masks for a long time. So I, I was a, I am a really, really creative person. And especially as a kid, like, I think I love animals still to this day more than people, which I don't know what that says about me as a life coach, but just being honest, uh, animals, because they're more honest. And I think that makes them more fascinating. They, they go off their instincts and I think they're beautiful. But as a, as a kid, I covered all that stuff up because I was just another guy in this world. And I was just, I didn't realize at the time, but I was just terrified of who I was. So I went out and got some tattoos. I got a truck. Um, I was the, the fastest brained guy at the party throwing out jokes all the time. And I, I love humor. Like I'll always use humor in everything I do, but what I didn't realize it was keeping people away from me. Like this guy's got a sharp tongue. Like, you know, he's funny, but you don't want to get too close to him. And it took years to, to take those things off all the things that weren't true. Like, I don't think any of us are really lost. We're just covered in all the stuff that are, that isn't true. But um, I have my own version of that, you know, being the, the life of the party type, almost and that invincible mask that a lot of men wear like I just had reckless behavior and did crazy stuff for a long time that um three times I, I think I should have been dead because I just was trying to numb out so hard I almost numbed out permanently and um I'm glad I turned that around and that now I'm able to now I think that's what makes me a good coach is I'm able to recognize that stuff not because I read it in a book somewhere not because I went to certain trainings and continue to study and, and be interested in this kind of stuff, but because I was that person myself for a long time. So for you, you, you talk about wearing those masks, you know, what was it that you were covering? If you don't mind me, I mean, it kind of gets deep and personal. Like what was it you were hiding? What was on the inside of that? I love it. No, I was hiding that number one, I'm gay. And when I was about, 16 years old, I started to realize that about 18, I'm like, I'm just going to tell everybody and then everything will be fine. And everybody was fine with it. Except me, it took me 10 years to stop like getting people drunk and being like, I got to tell you something, you know, it's nothing I can help. I've tried, I've had girlfriends, I've tried everything I can, um, but I'm gay. And then I wake up sober, like, oh my God, now that person knows. I hope they don't view me differently. It took me 10 years to see through that. Um, and get through that and work through that. And now I'm on a manlyhood podcast being totally vulnerable with whatever people think of that. I'm here anyway. And that's it. And I don't mean to sound tough. It's, it's more of a, I'm proud of me type thing. And another thing I learned when I was covering up is that, you know, I had a dad who's very, very stoic. I still don't know him. I don't think I ever will, but I would blame myself for a long time. And, um, and in that, like there was a hole in my heart, you know, most of, most of us have holes in our hearts, the size of other people's expectations. And mine was my dad's and I've got the opposite. My mom's a very extroverted, friendly person. And what I learned is how to keep people away from me or how to use a personality that was super outgoing that still kept people away from me versus bringing them in. And, um, and on top of being gay and hiding, I was very, very good at hiding for a long time. And even when I, came out, which there's never a time a gay person comes out, they come out every time I just did right here with you. Every time I start a new job, every time I meet new people. But when I first started telling people that I was gay, um, I would still, you know, 
be the tough guy. And again, the tattoos working out and, and building up my body to look a certain way so that I didn't look gay, but they still knew I was. And it was hard, man. It was, it was a lot of years of struggle and thinking that like, I used to use the phrase all the time, like, I don't give a shit what people think. And that is so unattractive and frankly boring to me because number one, we all do care what others think, but I think a better phrase would be, and I'm like you, you said you're, you're very big on words people use. Now I'm, I'm just open to what people think of me. Not, I don't mm. give a shit. Like I'm just some tough guy that I don't care what you think. You know what I mean? I do, but I'm very open to what you think. And if you have questions for me, ask me. And, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of years of a lot of struggle and tr- for me to be comfortable with myself. Yeah. I can definitely understand that struggle of, trying to hide, trying to cover up, trying to be somebody you're not like, I've, I've always been an extroverted person. Yeah. And so, you know, outgoing and, and everything else. And it's funny. Cause like this past few years, three years ago, my dad passed away and oh, I had, you know, and, and for me, I had a really great relationship with my dad, but when I lost him, that sucked. But it was funny. Cause for me, like that outgoing part of myself, that, loves to be around people, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it just shut off. Like I was a hermit for, I'm just now starting to kind of recover in terms of like actually enjoying people's company. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's almost like, you know, then, so for me, for me that, um, through that grieving process, it was easier to just hide, you know? Because then nobody had to see how I was really feeling. And remember those like age old things like men don't stop and ask for directions. I mean, we've got, you know, Google maps on our phone. We don't have to do that anymore anyway, but men don't stop and ask for directions. Men don't go to the doctor. We have such a hard time asking for help because we're not taught to we're, we're the caretakers. We're the breadwinners. We're the, the hunters, the gatherers. Like we're supposed to have it all figured out logically and then, and then, of course, we turn around like, women are so emotional, like, blah, blah. Well, they live longer. They actually produce other human beings that come out of their body. They're the creators. And, um, you know, and again, men have the higher rate of suicide, higher rate of substance abuse. And, and you know, this is not to pick on men. It's just uh, I'm asking right now for anybody who listens to this, I'm going to ask your help in you asking for help. Like, help us heal this world. This is. It's not turning out great. The world is great, but the human part of the world is not turning out great. And if men are in charge, if that is the case, that men are the leaders of the world for the most part, uh, we need to ask for help more to make it uh, a healed place. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think a lot of guys are threatened by uh, professional help, right? So there's a lot of guys that are like, they feel uncomfortable asking somebody like you or a psychologist or a doctor for help. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's, you know, I have a, I see a, a a shrink (laughs) for my ADHD, you know, and I, I went to him and I told him I have, I have ADHD. So he gave me medicine and he calls and checks up and says, how's it going? And I say, it's going great. And then he signs my prescription and I keep getting the medicine, right? Yeah. Um, but it like, I would be, it, it, it would be difficult for me to have a deeper conversation with him, you know? And, and, you know, now my friend, I have several friends that I could sit down and I can be completely honest with, you know, I have a group of guys that I meet with every Monday night. And those are the guys where in that relationship, it's, you know, we've got things invested because they've shared you know, and I see their hurt and I see their, what they're struggling with. And so then I feel safer to share and to talk about what I'm struggling with. Um, the difference though, is that none of them are trained, <laughs> yeah. you know, none yeah. of them see what, what I really, you know, it, it is helpful. It is helpful, but there are times when what you're going through is more than just a little funk, you know, you might be going yeah. through something that you need some deeper help on, you know? 
Right, man. And I love that you use the word safe. You're being honest by saying like it, you're on your friends and make you feel safe. And there's something about that. Like if you look at the opposite, there's something you feel unsafe from. And not just you, Josh, all of us, there's certain ways we keep ourselves, you know, safe. And like for you, it might be comfort foods, you know, like what am I actually comforting? For me, for a long time, it was Vicodin, Oxycontin and drinking like my whole weekend's away. And I was just miserable by Sunday night. And then I turned right back on the weekdays, like the accomplished guy that went to school, had a job, went to the gym, but I would tear it all down when I, when I got to the actual relationship side of it, my friends, my family and stuff like that. And not saying that's what you do, but yeah, when you use the word safe, there's something that men feel unsafe from. And I believe it's our own feelings. And that's why I think it's beneficial. This is not my plug for life coaching um, or therapy or psychology, although super beneficial and it can help, but having the spotlight just on you, it is, it can be scary and intimidating, but man, that it's just for you. And it's only scary and intimidating until it's not until it's, until it's free. And so you're like, you actually are free from yourself. You're not in the, the, you're not locked in the cage that we are, that we put ourselves in, you know what I mean? And, um, not easy though, not easy. And I've seen three different therapists in my life. And then I had a life coach. Yeah. You had to have a life coach going through the school that I went through for life coaching school. And it's, it's different when you are, it's like a mirror holding up to you, but then someone else is holding that mirror too. So you've got those, your, your eyes are on you and their eyes are on you. And it's, Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not always an, a comfortable experience, but I'm not overjoyed. That's not the right word. I'm so humbled and grateful to find the work that I've done because I get experience like watching someone like grow from the inside out versus leaving stuff on the inside and then covered up with food, alcohol, drugs, quick witted banter. Um, you know, I, there's, I was at the gym um, probably a year and a half ago. And I remember these two guys mumbling to each other, about, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like your mom, your mom, I do your mom, blah, blah. These typical 20 year old talk in the locker room. And, you know, you hear it and like probably something I said, but I was at 20 years old too, but I heard this stuff and I was just listening. And then one guy left and the guy turns to me, he's like, what's up, man. Now mind you, I didn't know who this guy was, but I was like, Hey, how are you? He's like, ah, uh, not, not doing super great, but whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to jail tomorrow. And I was like, Oh, okay. Hmm. So like, yeah, I got to go for nine months for some shit that blah, blah, blah. And, um, I was like, how are you doing with that? And he's like, man, it is what it is. Blah, blah. I'm like, and I actually touched his arm. I was like, listen, I know that guys aren't supposed to talk about this stuff. And I know it's kind of weird, but I really want to know, dude, you're going to jail for nine months. I don't even need to know what for, but Truly, I want to know, how are you doing with that? And the guy looked like he's about to cry. He's like, it's, it's kind of scary. And yeah, I'm not, I'm scared. And I was like, yeah, man. I'm like, well, hope you get through it. Best of luck to you. But for even for a brief second, uh, like you could see the real person in there versus under the, the costume that, um, and just walk through any gym locker room, uh, not saying all guys talk like this, but you know, the guys, instead of facing each other, they stand side by side, like, yeah, what's up? And they just kind of look around. They won't even look at each other. And um, again, this was me for years. And it's just so fascinating to me. We're scared of something and we're scared of actually seeing ourselves. You know, cause we talked about that idea of safe, you know, a lot of my circle is pretty conservative. Right. And so, you know, we love to make fun of the concept of, you know, a few years ago, all these campuses had safe spaces that you could go to where, you know, you wouldn't be, you know, subjected to anybody who thought differently than you, you know. And so, um, you know, and, and it sounds absolutely ridiculous. And I, I understand why it's, you know, why it's laughed at to a degree. But at the same time, don't we all want a safe space where we can actually be who we are like? That's one of the things I try to build with manlyhood is like, we want to have a a space. We have a a private Facebook group and these guys get in here and it's safe. You know what you can say here, I'm really struggling with my marriage or, you know what, I'm really struggling with my work and I don't know what to do. Like 
you need to have that. You can't share that just anywhere, you know, and you have to have a, a space that's safe. Now, yeah, sure. We can pick on people for things, but probably we shouldn't. Cause we need the same thing, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's easier to look out and point out what people aren't doing or should be doing or make fun of them. And um, again, this quick witted tongue, I did that for a long time versus like, what am I doing? And who am I to sit there and look at them? Like, I don't want to be that person. So it's time to look more at me, but yeah, it's, mm. yeah, those safe spaces are, are not to be taken lightly, whatever that looks like. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, if, if you have, you know, two or three great friends you could talk about everything with, I don't think any of us would need therapists or life coaches or psychologists um, if we have those people lean on, because that is therapy in itself. And, you know, and um, I've got a couple of friends, we have marathon long conversations, um, not to figure out life, but to figure out ourselves in life. And I think that is a big difference because men oftentimes like, I got it all figured out. This is what I was taught. And this is how a man should be. And like, okay. So you sound like a closed door to me versus an open, confident, you know, willing to try and understand type of man, at least that I want to be for myself. This is a question I get a lot or that I hear a lot from men, because you talked about having those two or three friends. You know, if you had that, you wouldn't need all this. And I hear a lot man, I don't have any friends. I don't know how to find that, you know? And what would you say to that guy? That I would say to that guy that um, if you're not in relationship with other people right now, you probably don't have a relationship with yourself. And it always starts there. That's always the root of everything. And if you don't know yourself or not in relationship with yourself, you got to start there. And that might be where a therapist, a life coach, Um, just, and when I say having a good group of friends, those friends that don't let you get away with stuff are the real good friends that, that call you out. Like you're avoiding this or or like, what does this mean? Or you said you want this and yet you're doing this over here. Those are the friends I'm talking about. Not just the ones we can, we often pass time with or, and those are great people to have too. You know what I mean? It's fun to just relax and kick back and have a few beers or not, or you're doing whatever you do, but those friends that really get curious about you, which that's where, you know, if you don't have that, where the therapy, the the coaches, those people come in because it is all about you in those situations. They will get curious yeah. about you and you get to answer just about you, not how you are reacting to the world. And some good answers can come from that. And I, and I hurt for those people, man, like people like that don't have any friends or don't know how to make friends. Um, that's hard. And that would suck. And that's not been a problem that I've had. Um, mine is attracting too many. And like, I don't have time for this stuff. And that I don't mean to make my problem like, oh, poor me, you know, but was I showing them the real person versus the guy that they just like to be around because I helped them? Because then I'm still hiding, you know what I mean? But yeah, I for those people, I'd say to, you know, get some help to figure out where you're not in relationship with yourself. Because if you're not with yourself, you definitely can't be with other people. Yeah. It's kind of like being in the plane and, you know, they give you the little spiel before you take off and they're like, you can't uh, help somebody else with their life vest until you take care of yours. You got to put your vest on or your mask on first before you help your neighbor. And, and I think that's a good place to start. I I think about too, like, like to have a friend, you have to be a friend. You know, I think it's, you know, if you want, if you want somebody to, 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 care about you and you don't care about them, then they're not going to get any, you know, it's got to be mutual, you know, and that's hard if we're not working through the healing process ourselves too, you know, it's so true. And, you know, I've got one friend, my, my buddy, Joe, Joe, if you hear this, I called you out on a podcast. Um, (laughs) Like we just, he's one of those that I have marathon long conversations with and cause we ask each other questions and we're genuinely curious about our lives. Like, Hey, how did this go for you? And he even asked me today, he's like, is that podcast on Spotify? I'm like, I'll check it out. I'll let you know. Cause he wants to hear it and he's not available. Um, I mean, this isn't live anyway, but he wasn't available to, to listen if it was. Um, but, but yeah, like really, I, I decided probably in the last year or so that if people 
I choose to be around um, aren't going to ask me questions about myself, you know, because we, it seems like often we live in a world where people, when they get your ear, they get your ear, they want to talk about themselves. And I'll hang up like, they didn't ask me one thing about me. And I decided, I'm like, I'm not hanging around that anymore. If I do and I continue to complain about it, that's on me. But I'm not, I, and I have started to tell people, including someone very close in my life that I just said, you know, if, if no matter who it is, if you're not going to ask me questions and you're just going to tell me about your life, like I'm not, I'm not interested. It's got to be two ways. And um, when those conversations used to be hard, now they just feel good because they went mm-hmm. from like, Oh, I'm kind of irritated to being vulnerable and tiptoeing around it. Then getting kind of angry and, you know, I'm not angry, but here's what I need. Now I'm just like, eh, this is it. This is what I need. And if you're not it, that's okay too. But I'm just telling you what I need. Yeah. I think that's hard for people to do. I think it's hard to, yeah, hard, hard to have that. But what is life if you're not having good, hard conversations every now and then? <laughs> yeah, man. And nobody will know what you need unless you tell them. So let's go back to this concept of masks. Um, we've got this, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's almost like spoken word poetry, man, um, mm. that you've put together. Uh, and it talks about the masks that you wear. Uh, and we'll give it a listen, but maybe set this up for us. Help us understand what this is all about. Yeah, um, there is a portion of that. I, get, I know you're a poetry guy too, which I, I totally respect. I think art runs the world and really tells the world where people are at. You know what I mean? And um, art's just incredible. I can see why you think it's poetry because there is some rhyming in this particular story. But so uh, being a creative guy, I created this, the secrets of a life coach audio series. So they're storytelling albums. Um, I've got three out on iTunes and Amazon right now. And then working on the fourth one in the series is probably going to be seven or eight albums, but what they are are, I took stories and made little mini ear movies out of them, out of Mm. concepts that I would hear in my coaching all the time, where people get stuck, where they're hiding, um, where they feel like they're a victim, where they put themselves in their own cage. And I created a story out of it with characters that people often get out of their own head and really get into the actual story where they, at the end, there's options and choices for them to choose something differently. So they're very calming and relaxing stories. And, um, one that we had talked about sharing for uh, your podcast audience is called five faces of Mike. Um, I actually put my own name on this. I'm not saying it's all me, but uh, you know, if I'm using characters names, I want to be as vulnerable as possible and put my name on that one. But yeah, it's just the masks and costumes that men wear and what they're actually hiding and how they, a possibility to get through it um, at the end of the story. So that's what that, that story is about. And the whole series is just, it's, it's like fun self-help. It's, it's more um, edutainment is a popular word, but you get entertained by hearing a story. You get lost in the actual story. So you get out of your own head um, and then you get to learn something in the end. Awesome. Let's give it a listen. Five faces of Mike. It isn't that Mike can't remember playing the game of Russian roulette that bothers him. It is that he never remembered agreeing to play. Someone, though, filled one of the five chambers with a bullet and pulled the trigger. Pre-game, however, he was such a naked, sweet, wide-eyed little lover who would nestle and snuggle in. He'd coo and cry. But he was way too young to remember this at least with his mind. Then years later, the gun went off and Mike was taught to face a new game, to face the game of men. The stone face, the boulder with his stoic stance. Mike is a non-emotional rock everywhere he rolls, a detached lone wolf in a cement den. He stands alone. Stay free of drama and emotionally needy people. Leave me out. His what face. The king face. The fighter with his armor. Mike smears on warrior of his castle war paint everywhere he goes. Smarter and stronger than other men, he beats his chest and inflates with achievement. 
He's the alpha male. Stay ahead and on top of weaker people. Pin to win. His grrr face. The jester face. The party with his wittiness. Mike spins out a kaleidoscope of colorful humor everywhere he goes. A dancing clown juggling insults who cracks jokes about whatever. He is the life of the party. Stay carefree and careless around serious people. Laugh him off. His relax face. The conquest face. The sexual winds and stories. Mike hunts to drill for pleasure everywhere he goes. A sexual athlete exiting after naked touchdowns and sweaty scores. He's the envied seducer. Stay uninvolved with a busy bed with other people. Relieve, then leave. His mine face. Mike is a real man. But then... What is it about the dark honesty of this particular night? Here Mike is, alone in the dark bathroom with his reflection feeling like he had played a game of Russian roulette long ago. A distant part of him is always stalking and haunting him and keeps him in what feels like a prison. He learned prison code a long time ago, but compared to other men, it seems that something isn't working. This face even looks different when by himself. Only one bullet is loaded for Russian roulette, and he rotated the stone, king, jester, and conquest faces. Who is that fifth face staring back? That tired reflection. What a loaded question, especially after he has done everything that a man is taught to do. Don't be a little girl. Boys don't cry. Get moving. Do like boys do. Don't ask why. Cross your arms, agree, and nod them all away. Fist bumps or handshakes, no hugs, don't be gay. A compliment is a nice but tiny vulnerable attack. Brush it off, explain it away, or ping pong one right back. If you're pissed, put a fist right through a wall. Or slaughter another dude with his own football or basketball. You're a guy. It's normal to have under-the-surface rage. Put in longer hours, get promoted, be a sage. No fear, win, be the leader of your pack. Or twist the minds of those around you with smart facts. You know what it'll feel like winning? An impassioned argument. Politics, sports, business, facts, show intelligence. Bring another hot chick home, that'll satisfy. Or get drunk, get plowed, or get really high. Flash a big house boat, pool, envy's worth the cost. Show them your new alpha car with the loud dual exhaust. You're the leader of the fun. Get the attention, then get wild. Be a witty, quick, hilarious character. That'll keep them riled. Fly and weave on your motorcycle or go skydive. Or punch some weaker dude. That'll make you feel alive. Be louder. Puff up. Show them who's boss. Call your old man, blast the music, then cheers to getting tossed. Be logical and stay prepared. Stay in control. Guys, don't get scared. Be like, whatever, man. Men don't get depressed. Work on finding solutions, not girly emotional mess. Use your brains and muscles. The rest is feminine. Be detached logic. It's always something wrong with them. It is always them something wrong with them. Mike tried hard to do what he was taught, though, until this look in the mirror. Like most men, he is haunted by something. Hunted by something. Maybe because parts of his family have stopped talking to him. Maybe it is his frustrated, disappearing wife. Maybe it is his job. Maybe his increasing self-medicating his increasing time locked in his man cave. Maybe because he always feels busy, tired with never-ending projects. Pressure. Stay ahead. That little rage. When the doctor his friend Max recommended pressed his thumb into, 
I'm fine. Over and over again. Oh, the scalding hot rage that burst out. Terrifying, horrifying, mysterious, embarrassing rage that made no sense and Mike wanted to run like hell to where he'd never be seen again. But he'd already done that. He had been running and wasn't seen. Oh my God. He didn't even know he was hiding from himself. His reflection shows him that being a man is to keep far away from yourself. And the rage, the anger, the stone or king face, the jester or conquest face, it is all protection of something he has never been taught to deal with. Feelings. Yes, men with feelings. Men might not even know that they hide from themselves. So instead, blame the outside, suffocate in pride. Accomplishments and deeds, not emotional needs. Masculine completeness, not visible weakness. Practical solutions versus emotional pollution. The man in manipulation appears like men have to do it alone, and dormant feelings hide together under numb. And numb has been smothering the naked, sweet, wide-eyed little lover who is begging not having to aggressively fight to nestle and snuggle in. Who badly needs to coo and cry. And Mike is way too old to forget this. At least with his heart. And there it is. It would hurt like hell to get shot, yet it's pain that actually connects. He has been brightening his outlook when he needs to brighten his inlook. What should he let in? How do men do that? If shame was the bullet loaded, what loaded questions when that face may have been the target? And bullets ricochet into all other areas of life. When Mike learns to empty his emotional chamber by learning emotional language, he slowly loses the thought of being haunted by something. Of being hunted. No victims. No accomplices. Then he is able to walk into the whole other world inside the mirror and reflect something fresh. Only then when he looks at the one bullet aimed for a face he starts to recall. The bullet disappears. So does the gun. So does the men's game of faces. I think that's really telling. I like the way that it it does feel poetic. Yeah, there's a little rhyming, but there's also this rhythm to it. You know, it, um, some of the other stories as well that you've done where it has um, like a nursery rhyme type rhythm. I don't mean like childish, but it's like I don't know, as a as a creator, as an author, as a poet, I, I appreciate that because I think it just adds this. Um, well, like you said, it's kind of relaxing with that rhythm and you can kind of follow along. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I think it's neat. I think it's, it's uh, intriguing, but like you said, there's, there's the moral to the story too, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, in our world of, you know, you can Google anything. So much information is coming at us all the time. Even in my own coaching, I use storytelling as a way to drive a point home sideways. So I'm not directly saying like, You've said this, try this. Like, can I tell you a story about a squirrel? This squirrel was doing this hopping along and it decided to put on an albino costume so it could fit in with the elder albino squirrels, but it was never true to itself. That's an actual story I'm developing for the fourth album, but stuff like that where people are, I'm like, what advice would you give this squirrel? And then people have their own answers because you're not, they get, we get stuck in our own lives. But if you put it as a story, you can relate to the story and then figure out a different direction. So thank you for saying that. And yeah, the music and sound effects is like the, the perfect marriage. And I'm very, like I work with eight or nine musicians. I'm like, it has to sound like this. If it sounds too sad in these two minutes, we're going to change it, you know, but um, it's just, I, I want to have a certain feeling behind the stories. And, you know, for the longest time I was toying with marketing as children's books for adults, because 
again, when we were kids, how did we learn? Our kindergarten teacher, our parents, aunts and uncles, our babysitter, they'd read stories to us and we'd learn that way. Where did that go? We learn from each other's stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. That's how we learn. And like, dude, I'd love to hear your story too about, you know, the unfortunate circumstance of your dad passing away, possible struggles with food. Like I get to know you a little bit more. That's your story versus just information. You know, how do you feel about Biden or Trump? Like, who cares? I don't even know you yet, you know? And that's, yeah, that, that is what I find important. Well, and I think that's what we all want. You know, we all want to know each other deeper. We want to know each other better. We want to see, you know, and, and, and we can relate to stories. I think that's in our nature from the time we, you know, whether we were created by God, which I believe, or whether we crawled out of the ooze, as soon as we could start talking, we were sitting around campfires and telling stories, you know, and yeah, that's a valuable thing. hundred percent. That's how I learn about somebody more, like just about, you know, their experiences of like what they went through, not how they, what they think of the world. You know what I mean? And the state of it. And, you know, people say all the time, like this world is going to hell. I'm like, no, no, the world is always going to be the world. It'll repair itself. Humans are not at a great place right now, but it's also been that like that, that, that for a long, long time too. Um, but that's where the opportunity is to, to change it. But yeah, storytelling is, I, I love it, man. And I, I'm so grateful to be the, the guy that gets to put these stories together and the music and the sound effects and to have somebody come back and like, I disappear into the stories and I like, Someone will tell me, uh, one of my buddies was listening to my third album when it came out. And he's like, I ran for two hours and it flew by because I was so into the story. And um, and I'm more interested not in the compliments of that they liked it. You know, that's how it's fun to hear too, but more like how it got somebody thinking differently. Um, some people have come back and told me that they had, they sat with their kids and had a different conversation based off a story. And a couple that I know sitting at, they'll listen to a story and have conversations together and Man, like we talked about, that's I get into life coaching for conversations. We know that talking about stuff is healing. To hear people doing that through something I created is like, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I love it. I uh, The other story that I listened to today, kind of preparing for the interview, and uh, I won't, we won't play it here, but I want to encourage people to check it out. And it's um, the story of the guy and he goes to his doctor, you know, and um and the doctor tells him he's got a year to live. And then he starts living different. And I, I, I don't know, for me, that was one that I could definitely relate to and, and connect with in a really neat way because, you know, I mean, I'm 43 and stuff starts hurting, you know, <laughs> you, start, you start thinking, man, I'm, I'm getting older, you know? And I always say that I tell my friends that all the time, like, oh, like what's wrong with you, man? Oh, I'm just, I'm just getting old. You know, and I'm like, I don't know. It challenged me a little bit today to think about the fact that maybe what I need to be doing is thinking about things with gratitude, you know, and oh, it was good. So I appreciated one of your stories today. It helped me. Thank you. Oh, that, that means so much to hear. And yeah, it's all about priorities, man. Like where we spend our time and our money, no matter what we tell people, this stuff's important to me, this stuff's important to me. But if we look at where we spend our time and our money, those are the actual important things. And in that story, his was work and getting back to work and stuff like that. And then is work that important when all of a sudden you're told you have a year to live? And that's what, yeah, that's the first story off the first album. And um, I always, when I do these uh, group trainings and a lot of them are based off storytelling. So I can get the group to have discussions and that's always the first one that I play. Um, it's my baby. So, I, but point is I'm, I'm glad it helped you or got you, thinking about whatever it is that may have helped you today. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So let's say that somebody is listening today. They're connecting with what you're talking about. They're saying, all right, I, I like what, what Mike is bringing to the table. I want to know more. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. Thanks. The best way to connect it. I would say go to um, mikejamesnow.com. Um, it'll tell you more about, uh, some of the stuff I do as far as coaching. I'm recently, um, getting trained in breath work, which has been a whole other topic, but in crazy, incredible healing with breath, 
air. And, you know, I, w- I stumbled upon it accidentally in October at a business conference and did a two hour breathwork thing. And I was blown away and I knew right away, I'm like, I need to train in that as my stuff. So more to come on that. But um, yeah, MikeJamesNow.com also houses all the, the albums that can be purchased off iTunes and Amazon and very soon just directly off the website. Um, and it'll download right to your, your music, wherever your music is stored in your phone. So you can go on a healing journey and listen while you drive, mow the lawn, do dishes, sit in quiet, wherever you want to. It'll, it'll take you on a journey that um, you'll really appreciate. So that's, that's where to find me. And any inquiries about coaching can be found there too. There's a little uh, contact me section there. Awesome. Yeah. So I like to steer my interviews in this direction and, uh, and it, I ask some really difficult questions that always seem a little challenging and I have gotten some really interesting answers. Uh, and the first question is this, Mike, if you were to have an, the eight to 10 year old version of yourself walks in the room and you've got the opportunity to speak into his life and to talk to him, what do you want to tell him? Hmm. You know what I I love about that question is I remember being about that age and I remember having this feeling in little kid language. It was like, I'm going to be so happy one day as an adult. I would say I'm going to be very fulfilled, but, um, and the next, the next sentence that came after that was like, and it's very, very far away. So, um, and that was weird because I was a little kid and that actually was a thought about the future. But if I could, meet my eight to 10 year old self. Number one, I'd give myself a giant hug and be like, you will be happy. Just don't ever stop. Just don't ever stop. I think that's great advice. Yeah. What follow-up question to it? If someone had told you that, what would, what, what difference would it would have made for you? Uh, that, I, I was always and continue to be a very sensitive person. Not that I, I run around crying and everything. I would like to, by the way, I love crying, but more like I know things and I block them for, for I block them for the longest time for like knowing too much about people and that scared them. So I want to keep them close to me. So I'd keep it shallow, but more like we need your depth. And you're going to be so happy one day because you're going to have a whole life filled with actual depth, a career of it, working on it, creating art that I've always loved to do since I was a kid out of depth and helping people think and feel deeper. So yeah. Did that answer the question? (laughs) I think so. I think so. It gives us a little extra perspective. So then the last question that I like to ask is this, and it is what is the best advice that you have for the men listening today? Mm. That you are only alone because of you not doing your inner work. So get help, whatever that looks like, and start talking about your feelings. Start understanding where you might be hiding and how you will know that things are off if you use things like comfort food. I need to take the edge off. Um, If you have a man cave, not that those are bad, but is that just another metaphor for like where you stuff, like you might have a cave in your house or in your garage, but is that also a place where you stuff everything and just go to be by yourself? Um, Don't do it alone. Just don't do it alone and ask for help. Awesome. I think that's excellent advice, Mike, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. One more time, if the guys want to know more about you, your website is? MikeJamesNow.com. Try to keep it really simple for people. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So they can go check it out. Guys, I encourage you to check it out. I really appreciate you being on the Manlyhood Madcast with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Shout out to Mike James. Uh, excellent interview. I think we were able to really learn a lot. I know I learned a lot about myself and I hope that we can all learn from this, that we can all grow from this. And if you want to continue to grow and you want to be a part of things that we're doing here at this Manlyhood movement, get plugged in with us. Go to the Facebook group, add it. If you want, if you like this episode, share it with somebody, comment. Let's go off. Let's talk about it. Let's grow together. I love you guys. I appreciate you. And I'll see you next time. 
If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. Cast.